Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare. I'm a writer. I'm a handsome dad and now apparently I'm a podcast host as well. And this is a podcast for writers and for readers about stories, about writing, about making novels and short fiction and all sorts of lies and occasionally about my <laughs> about my career and mental health as well. So I just want to say before we get going, and if you're new to the show, I, I apologise. I don't ever want to do sort of in-jokey stuff too much because if this is your jumping on point, then it can be incredibly alienating. And you go, oh, this isn't for me. I feel like I've wandered into a, uh, into a gang of people who've just been on a very long car journey together and have lots of in-jokes. Ah, uh, hi, if you're new. This is just a show where we talk about fiction, and I talk to authors and I speak to them and go, hey, what? how do you make these words happen? And they tell me. And sometimes I look at listeners' first pages of their work and say, uh, yeah, don't do that. And I give them feedback on how to make it better. And, you know, like people say that to me as well when I show them my first drafts of work. I'm, I have loads of stuff wrong with everything I write and... We're all fallible human beings and and that's what redrafting is all about. That's how we make stories good is by rewriting. And sometimes I talk about some aspect of writing, creative writing. Last uh, episode, I had a load of pitches from uh, listeners who have written uh, writing novels uh, for the benefit of agents and editors who are listening and also the best benefit for the benefit of listeners so they can hear what other people are doing, so they can hear their own work read out and so you can get an idea of what it's like to sell a book in an environment where somebody might be hearing 50 pitches that day where you can hear little extracts and you can lots of people thank you very much for everyone who's like got in touch with me to say how much they enjoyed last week's episode really really good to hear and if you haven't checked it out yet i really recommend it it was called the pitch rush the death of a thousand cuts pitch pitch rush special pitch rush (laughs) the death of a thousand cuts pitch rush special it was called and I sound incredibly drunk there. Um, and it was good fun. And it was interesting to hear people, everyone who got in touch with me had had like at least one or two that were their favourites. And it was interesting hearing their reasons why. So thanks very much everyone who contributed to that. And, you know, I wish you all the best with your writing. Today, what I wanted to do is uh, uh, this weekend, I shared a post that's been on my website for a little while Um about ways that you can, that readers can help authors they like. Things that they can do to boost authors that they care about. Because people often ask me questions about how they can support me. Uh, but also just general promotional questions. And I think I just thought it'd be useful for you uh, if you're an author or if you're a reader. But, you know, coming at it from a, a writer's point of view as well, it's useful to know and get some sense of what actually makes a difference when it comes to your book and what readers can do and what you can actually ask them or encourage them to do that's going to make a difference versus what doesn't make much of a difference. So I'm going to just do an... uh, I I shared it and lots of people said that they liked it, so I'm just going to kind of go through and do an audio version of it. Um, But I'll also put a link in the show notes, so if there's anything you want to revisit, you can... Um, go onto my website and see the full post with it's got various links uh, to different studies, different kind of supporting bits for assertions I make. Uh, I've, I've put link hyperlinks in those with evidence. But this is basically 
just me go doing an overview of lots of questions I get asked about. You know, things like where where should I, where's the best place place for me to buy your book, and things like that. Things that are helpful for authors. Now these are instructions for, or this is a kind of like handbook for readers. So it doesn't include things which I will sort of go over at the end, but it doesn't include things like take out an advert or get reviewed in a in a broad in a major newspaper or something like that because readers don't have any control over that but I will touch on those things at the end of the episode uh, just the kind of effect of those because I'm I'm in the stage now with my next novel The Ice House which it's not you, that's not how it's inflected it's not called it doesn't have a question mark at the end it's not called The Ice House it's called The Ice House that's just gone, the pre-order link has just gone live. And now normally you don't get a pre-order link until six months before a book's out. We're just over seven months before it's due out. But so many people had asked me, where can I pre-order it? Thank you, by the way. That's, that makes me feel very, um, very flattered that anyone would care. That's really, really kind of you indulging me uh, in that way. But um, my publisher's Canongate actually did a load of work and expedited it so instead of just like automatically coming on they've kind of forced it to come up early so people can start pre-ordering it and some of you have and thank you you this is really really nice i'm going to talk about pre-orders in a sec because that's actually one thing that's really really important and you might not know about that so i'm going to talk about that but i'm i'm now you know in talks with my editor and my publicist about ways that we're going to try and make people give a shit about one book in literally thousands upon thousands of new releases that are going to be coming out into an environment where there were already hundreds of thousands of books for people to choose from well, why should anybody give a shit right there's this it's a it's a target rich environment yeah there's so many books people could choose from with there's so many activities other than reading you're not just in competition with other books you're in competition with netflix you're in competition with going for a walk speaking to your loved ones video games board games my writing is constantly uh my writing and my reading are constantly in in conflict with my my going to play a board game or my going to do some role playing or whatever so it's you know you're in competition with so much and in those terms it's a really daunting thing being an author and going what you know i can see why people sit down to write and you start writing that first play page and it's not very good and you're like, at what point do I think this is going to magically turn into something that people, that thousands of people are going to be prepared to pay me money pr for the privilege of owning? That seems impossibly vain. So I'm going to go through these things and talk a little bit about how, and if you're a reader, and I'm hoping that if you write, you're also an enthusiastic reader who has writers you love. Um, I want to just talk about stuff that can make you feel better as well. When you read something and you go, fuck, I love this. I, I've, since writing this article, I've really got into the habit of trying to champion books that I love and going through some of this advice. And it's a mood booster. And I'm going to touch on that as well. So um, the article, I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but was originally called uh, the, the 17 Best Ways to Boost Authors. Open brackets, 
and three worst close brackets. Oh, Tim, yeah, I can do some clickbaity titles. And I'm sorry for the slightly portentous tone of some of it as well, uh, because I think I had an idea that this <laughs> I was going to make a bid for people's attention, and I lost. I wasn't reading my own brand guidelines, folks. I, I wasn't the, the chatty, self-effacing, slightly vulnerable, somewhat smoulderingly handsome tone that you've come to love. I, I, I didn't use. I tried to be more clickbaity, like it was something on on BuzzFeed. And uh, that's why maybe came across as a little bit of a twat. What if I told you that you have more power than you ever imagined? What if I told you that you have the power to change a book's fate, change its author's fate, and in doing so, change the world? Well, I, I, I mean, I, it's not just a rhetorical term because I'm going to tell you exactly those things. So uh, this episode is going to teach you how to harness your hidden power, how to grant it to others and how, I'm not kidding here, how doing so will help you manufacture your own drugs and cheat death. <laughs> so none of these things I'm going to suggest today, by the way, are going to take very long and most of them are free. So this is, I, uh, this is the most comprehensive field guide on the internet to uh, boosting authors and supporting and promoting books. Authors need readers. Authors need you. And besides making the world more awesome, you are going to become more awesome yourself. Uh, MRI scans, those are magnetic resonance imaging scans, have shown that generous decisions engage the temporoparietal junction in the brain, which increases happiness and leads to greater likelihood of generosity in the future. I've been I've been researching this recently, actually, and it is fascinating. And I'm always worried when I bring in neuroscience that that, that the air is going to be punctured with the screams of neuroscientists listening to me come out with cod neuroscience and, and frustrated that I'm propagating myths. Now, all of these I've got links to studies that support them, but studies can be flawed. You know, I, I'm not actually I, I, I don't I only ever read the abstracts. So. I don't actually have access to how they've derived their data. And I want to be very clear. Um, I'm not a neuroscientist. I wouldn't have the ability. I know my way around a statistical significance related, unrelated T-test. You know, I've, I've done some maths in my life, but I'm not actually very good at uh, judging and rating methodology. Peer reviewed does not mean flawless. So I'd actually like to get someone, I'd love to get uh, someone on the show who knows a bit more about neuroscience. We had great talks with Dr. Tim Pitchell. So many of you talked to me about that, how much you love that. And with James W. Pennebaker, the social psychologist who talked about the effect of expressive writing on mood and uh, healing and uh, your immune system. But I would love to get someone on, and I'm going to I'll get on this um, to talk about narrative and uh, and neuroscience and story writing in neuroscience and things like this. Generosity in neuroscience is really, really interesting to me. Even small acts of generosity or commitments to act with generosity boost well-being. Studies suggest that altruistic acts help insulate you against stress and reduce the risk of 
of early death. Now, authenticity here is key. If you are doing things for others because you feel obligated or out of a sense of guilt, you're unlikely to get that shielding effect. But small habitual acts of voluntary, consensual generosity that you decide yourself, that are self-motivated, um, for people or just for causes that you care about, they release this. Uh, you they release the chemical, the neurochemical oxytocin. It's a very important one that I've been uh, reading about. That's the that's the kind of lo- it's often called like the love chemical, right? It's oxytocin is what um, is released when a mother when the uh, a mother when a baby is born, and they do skin to skin moments after the baby's born. This happened with my daughter. And uh, they hold the baby to the mother's chest and oxytocin is released in that con- in that contact. Um, the mother's body-, body with the baby close close to them starts just pumping out oxytocin and that brings uh, the milk through and it creates bonding as well. Um, I'm not sure whether men get oxytocin when they hug, hug their, their baby. I certainly did skin to skin with my daughter Suki when she was born. And it did feel like she stared into my soul and that we were permanently bonded from that moment on. But um, whether that was oxytocin or just the fact that I hadn't slept in 72 hours uh, because my wife had a three-day labour. Poor thing. I'm not suggesting I'm the victim there. Um, but yeah, it was it was really big. Anyway, I'm getting off track. Right, so look, 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 look. When, when you do nice small things on the reg... It releases oxytocin, so you feel more love, you feel more socially aware, and it prompts the mesolimbic pathway to release dopamine. Now, dopamine, of course, is just your big hit of pleasure. So basically, if you are consistently kind and do generous things for other people or causes that you feel were under your control, you got to choose, your brain manufactures you free crack. It makes you feel... That isn't how crack makes you feel. (laughs) That isn't how crack makes you feel. I guess it... manufacture you free mdma mdma that makes you live longer so that's good isn't it um, are you ready to join that party free drugs in the brain yes please and you will live unlike smoking crack you're more likely to uh, feel less stressed and live longer um some of these some of these suggestions are going to be like slightly like with all these things that are to do with either neuroscience or with to do with the industry sometimes you end up suggesting stuff that seems reasonably you might have guessed but i think it's worthwhile i make no i make no apology about that because i think it's worthwhile to actually hear it from the horse's mouth nay and also um, understand why and also go down into sort of slightly finer detail because it's all very well knowing these broadly but i want you to understand why and i want you to understand the exact specifics um so number one out of 17 don't worry i'm not going to there won't be too long. I'm going to cut these down to nice, easy chunks. Number one, the first thing you can do to boost authors you love is buy their books from the right place. The most common question I get asked by readers wanting to show support is what's the best place to buy your books from? So first of all, just thank you for giving a shit at all. I don't mean to sound like I'm I'm, I'm grumbling. I'm not. But they have this vague notion that authors are going to earn different commission from different outlets because we've all heard of books being heavily discounted since uh, the collapse of the net book agreement in 1993. That's a British thing. And uh, that's don't don't mention it in front of anyone in the publishing industry unless you want to see them kind of start frothing at the mouth and have flashbacks. 
but they say, what's the best place to buy your books from? Where do you want me to buy your books from? And they, they, they're they asking because they want me to get the maximum return on the set. And they, lots of people ask that to different authors. Thank you for caring, folks. That's really kind. Here's the thing, though. Like most authors, I would just say this off the bat, don't give a shit where you buy their books from. Um, I'm not being dismissive. I'm just saying asking an author the best place to buy their books from is like asking a drowning person their favoured colour of life preserver. Book sales are, are oxygen as authors. Like my, the room I'm in, my, the, my ability to feed my daughter and be with my family and do this at all and be sat here in this room recording this podcast to you is in, entirely down to the fact that people have bought my books. This is what I do. And without those people making that decision, without them doing that in unison, I wouldn't be able to do any of it. There's, it doesn't, you know, we. I can have the most awesome, enthusiastic fans on the planet, but if people aren't buying my books, it's 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 like you know buying a hamster state of the art seven tier climate controlled fun maze filled with treat dispensers, but forgetting to put holes in the box you brought him home in. You know, like your fun maze just becomes this ridiculous straw filled mausoleum. Like if you buy an author's book, you are putting food on their table and a, a roof over their head, unless of course they spend all their royalties on crack, in which case you're giving them crack. That's good as well. It's, but all the demands for you know. Whenever you share something, you're saying like you want books to have more representation or more uh, diversity or daring experimental topics or uh, more genre. Um, it, it means very little if no one buys those books when publishers comply. And yes, this is the evils of the capitalist system under which we live. But uh, until the Grand Revolution, this is the, 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 you know, I don't want to sound like a kind of wheezing gradualist, but the, this is the terms on which we operate. You know, buying a book is a political act. It's an unequivocal statement of support wherever you buy it from. That said, if you want to change the world, if you, if you want to do that and, and, and maximise that gesture... Here are the best places to buy your favourite author's book from in order of system-smashing awesomeness. Number one, independent bookstores. So you're free to disagree with me if you want, but from where I'm sitting, indie booksellers are like the last surviving members of an ancient race of super soldiers valiantly battling the forces of mindless evil, even as their numbers dwindle. Every day they're out there on the front lines, pressing books into readers' hands, championing great authors the mainstream ignores. Not only that, but as local businesses, the money they receive goes back into the local community. An average of £68 for every £100 spent versus £44 for every £100 spent with national book chains. Every time you buy a book direct from one of these goddamn heroes, you're pouring a healing potion right down their heroic gullets. If there isn't an indie bookshop nearby you, or you can't get out easy, you have mobility issues, or you, you know, you're in a rural area, no problem. In the UK, you can order via a website called The Hive, uh, I think it's thehive.co.uk, but I'll put a link in the show notes and either collect from a local bookshop near you or, or get free home delivery and choose a local bookshop near by you to benefit from the sale. In the US, there's a website called IndieBound uh, that um, lets you pick a book, tap in your zip code and jump straight to your nearest independent bookstores website to make a purchase alternatively you can buy direct from the indiebound site and the profits go to the entire independent bookstores network all of that's really cool now personally as an author i've been i've had huge support from independent bookshops i 
did the book launch for the honors in uh the book hive in norwich which is a fantastic bookshop if you ever get the chance to if you're ever in norwich and you get a chance to visit the book hive yeah watch your wallet because you will end up spending a load of money because all the books in there are gorgeous and it's so temptingly laid out that you're just going to go oh my goodness me this is lush and, and you know they supported me allowed me to do a launch there um uh mr b's emporium over in bath have I don't I feel like I owe them like a life debt. They've done so much for like championing my book, The Honours, and recommending it to people and putting it into people's hands and saying, you should check this out. I think you'll really like this. Uh, they, you know, they've done crazy sales with it. And I, 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 you, it's not, you just can't get that with somewhere like Amazon. You know, you don't get, that level of people engaging with other human beings and recommending things and that's why we should support independent bookshops apart from the fact it keeps the it keeps the scene healthy uh it keeps competition in the marketplace uh they they're out there doing their bit for literacy and for a diverse uh world of books that aren't just whatever's one a competition or whatever's on sale in tesco you know i think it's a and, and I'm, I'm not sorry that sounded too snobby i'm not saying that like commercial thrillers aren't brilliant and i'm glad people are reading them and i'm glad that you can buy books in tesco i think that's a fucking amazing so i don't want to sound like i'm being snobby about it i think i probably was being snobby about it sorry 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 but i just think indie bookshops are doing an amazing job and um, whenever you can support them uh you can just you can just get to feel extra good about yourself, right? That's the nice thing. Number two, the second best uh, place you can buy them: any bricks and mortar chain bookshop. Like, sure, high street chain bookstores aren't as cool as independent bookshops, right? But they're still massive consumerist palaces of imagination and learning and the celebration of stories right there in the middle of your town. This huge visible presence that says in our societies, books matter, stories matter. These things are valuable. Children pass them and see, oh, like reading is a thing that we do i think it's so important their window displays thrust new titles under the noses of thousands of humans every day books are out there in shop windows people see that books exist it's so important and they're generally filled with staff who for the most part love books and reading often staff who write books maybe you're a staff member who writes books in one of those bookshops right these are people who care about stories and are more often than not happy to guide readers towards new authors they'll love. I think about Waterstones in in the UK and how they have their staff picks with little reviews of stuff the staff liked, how they have lo- local authors' books on, on shelves. It's really amazing and it's easy to take that set up and the fact that I can go into town with my author my author my daughter she might be an author one day uh if she wants um and it exists and we can go in and we can look around and we can and she can just be surrounded by a wonderful world of books I think that's so valuable and it means such an awful lot and we've got to be careful because these things will disappear if we don't protect them and look I just think when you favor a bookshop a a, bricks and mortar chain bookshop with your presence and yes with your cash you are nurturing a culture that says literature is valuable 
And if you can't make it out to a bookshop or there isn't one nearby you, you can hit up their website. Your patronage is still supporting their frontline stores. Three, direct from the publishers. Not all publishers sell books direct from their website. Mine don't, but many do. And, and for the small presses and indie publishers in particular, ordering direct from their website usually gives them a better margin and a shorter supply chain so the returns come to them quicker than buying via a third party. Now, just to be clear, it's not quite as simple as that because buying one of their titles, say, from a high street shop, it may trim their percentage... But at the same time, you will be supporting a physical shop, uh, which then gives this kind of like a beachhead in town for books in general. And you're giving the publisher another sale with that retailer, which may lead to them getting increased orders from that retailer in future. So it's complicated. It's, it's not clear cut. But bottom line... It's more revenue for the publisher, and that means more money to spend on getting your favourite author to write new awesome books. No independent publisher is going to be pissed off if you order a book through their website, unless... Oh, no, I can think of a couple, maybe. But they're just difficult human beings. Um, Four. Uh, that, was a, that was a joke. I'll cut that out, probably. I won't. Four. From the author's website. If the author that you like has a link on their website which says buy my book here, you can be reasonably sure that's their preferred method for selling their work to you online. Some authors even set up affiliate links so they get a little extra 5% kickback if you purchase via their site. For indie authors or authors with self-published titles, buying their work direct may put extra money in their pocket, though see above for caveats. Um, the author of Wool, uh, Hugh Howie, that he was originally self-published, Wool, uh, wrote, he did write an interesting post on the advantages of making sales via Amazon, even though he receives a smaller cut than if you buy it off him direct. Uh, I, 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 again, like, there's a link to that on the main article. Uh, it's it's interesting. It's worth checking out. I want to be like I've I've got my own biases about what you should and shouldn't do, but I want to be honest with you and give you the information, and then you can make up your own minds. And I think he makes some interesting points. And I think if we're gonna like have an intellectually honest adult debate about stuff, then we just shouldn't like cover up stuff because it might be like ideologically inconvenient. Five from an online bookstore other than Amazon. Um, there are a bunch of great online bookstores uh, like Wordery who uh, they tend to be the ones I use if I'm ordering online uh, they offer free delivery worldwide and pretty competitive prices as far as I'm concerned often often extremely competitive prices actually they've got big inventories to choose from and every purchase you make is still that's revenue that's going to the publishers that's revenue that's going to the authors and it's revenue that's going to a site that's employ employing people Go you, that's great, right? Uh, finally, Amazon. Maybe everywhere else has run out. Maybe your favourite author only publishes ebooks and you have a Kindle and they only sell via Amazon. Maybe you can't face the 60 seconds it would take to input your name, address, and card details into a new site. Maybe reports of Amazon working practices making its staff physically and mentally ill of their wetting themselves or passing out, its repeated reprimands over illegal tax breaks and its continued attempts to seek unprecedented local and national 
tax breaks, its squeezes on publisher revenues and predatory loss-making pricing designed to drive competitors out of business. And as the business expands, everyone is a competitor in almost every field. Maybe none of those things bother you. Or maybe they do bother you. They do bother you. You feel a sort of slight jag of irritation or discomfort, but not enough to get you to actually change your behaviour, especially as no one knows when you're buying stuff from Amazon, do they? It's very secret. It comes in a in a in a box given to you by a stranger, and surely everyone is doing it. Surely even the people who criticize it are doing it secretly. Otherwise Jeff Bezos wouldn't be the richest person in history with a net worth large enough to buy and this is a fact, every single one of America's homeless a $200,000 apartment. If you're okay with every purchase you make contributing towards the continuous growth and intensification of those things I just mentioned, and in the physical article there's links to all of those things, so you can read about them for yourself. If you're okay with that, or just insufficiently not okay, then buy from Amazon is the option for you, my friend. Perhaps... Well, all right then. I, I Perhaps sanctimonious finger-wagging isn't the best way to change your mind. It's just making you feel shit and resent me slightly. So, okay, just for the sake of balance, here are some good things about buying your favourite author's books from Amazon. They get money from the sale. They still get money from the sale. Uh, and their publisher gets some money too. You're still supporting literature and the arts. You're buying a book. That's good, right? Um, sales and book profile clicks boost the author's much-vaunted Amazon rank, right? So you could, through using Amazon, through using their system, you are boosting the chances that they'll be seen by other people using that system. And it is the most commonly used system, which may get them more views, which may generate them more sales depending on whatever oh-so-secret uh, Amazon algorithm is operating in the background. And there's various, you know, ways that people speculate how all that works. A lot of people say, well, once you reach... Anyway, we'll get back to that in a second. Amazon may be more likely to recommend the book to people who buy other books you've bought, because that's part of how the algorithm works, right? If Amazon nudges you to leave a review and you leave a nice one, that review may be seen by other shoppers or just people who are not buying from Amazon, but who search for the book online because Amazon is favoured by Google as a reliable site for books. So it prioritises those reviews really high and they show on the Google search page. So people will see that star review and that may encourage people to buy. Some self-published authors only sell through Amazon. So if you boycott the website, you're denying them a sale and you're denying yourself a book, you can't support them at all, right? And, and I, I suppose another positive thing is you're not spending the money on uh, forcing puppies to drink bleach or something. Seriously, we all make ethical compromises in our lives. And, and compromise seems like it's something that's forced, like, oh, I've got to make an ethical com You know, a compromise is, compromise is often used as this term that we talk about when we're, like, meeting someone in the middle. It's not really a compromise, is it? An ethical compromise. It's an ethical fudge. It's just like going, I, uh, like I, like for complete transparency, I chose to sell my first novel, The Honours, to Audible, uh, for the audiobook, and that, and Audible is owned by Amazon. 
I didn't have to do that. I had not. I had alternative. I had an alternative offer. Could have gone with someone else, but they were offering me more money, and I knew they had a big network, and I wanted as many people as possible to hear the audiobook. I chose. I like. I chose selfishly, and I'm not proud of that. Like I just chose what would make me most money, and serve the book because it benefited me. There's no way round that, right? Uh, taking small steps to reduce your moral hypocrisy can, uh, for me, it can feel like throwing pebbles at an approaching tornado because there's always something that you can be called out on and called out on very reasonably, right? So if you're anything like me, you try to ease your discomfort by inventing excuses in your head or telling yourself the company isn't that bad rather than sitting with the uncomfortable knowledge that you are inconsistent and that you could do better and not trying to justify that away but just sitting with it and letting yourself feel it it's hard the point here isn't to perform various uh, psychic rearguard actions to defend yourself against him uh, the censure of imaginary ethical adversaries it's about realizing that there are easy substub substitutions you can make that set our world turning in a direction that you can feel good about. So I, I want to encourage you to look at some of the in alternatives to Amazon I've talked about above. So you Indie Bound and Hive. Uh, and even if you just need it like quick and you feel like you can't cope with them because you find navigating stuff online stressful, just somewhere like wordery.com. Uh, you, you're not giving something up. Or introducing a lot more hassle in your life. I think I just feel like you're upgrading and you're going to get in return. Instead of just assuaging a mild bit of guilt, you are going to feel that dopamine and oxytocin hit I talked to you about. You'll feel less helpless and more optimistic. That's what it does when you do these things. You've got the power. I believe in you. Number two, the second thing you can do to support authors is pre-order Authors who you love, next books. So sometimes you'll search for an author you like and there'll be a listing for their next book uh, with a button to pre-order. Now, I want to be very clear here. Pre-orders are, are book sales on steroids. If you really want your purchase to make an impact, this is where to plant the dynamite. So let me explain. When you, when you pre-order... You are reserving, uh, sorry if this is too simple, but just to make sure we're all on the bus before we um, drive away. When you pre-order, you're reserving a copy of the book, right? So you'll get it on the day of release. Um, sometimes, in fact, often, slightly before, they'll be sent out early. You know, they have them in stock and it will come out before the th official Thursday. So you often get them in advance, right? And it, and it, and it might seem a bit pointless, right? Unless you think the book is likely to sell out. Why would you pre-order something how many books how many books sell out in the week of release almost none so why on earth would you pre-order well strong pre-orders demonstrate anticipation from for the book now booksellers and publishers are watching to see what happens with pre-orders that that is it's a whole that they allows them right from the, I mean this is terrifying right but right from the moment when that pre-order link becomes live they attempt taking the temperature of the book 
And if there are strong pre-orders, it encourages booksellers to order more stock in anticipation of greater demand, right? So if the book is getting more pre-orders, then they go, we're going to order we're not just going to order one copy, we'll order three or we'll order five or we'll make a space for this to be displayed. Which and then if pre, and, and then when their stock orders are strong, it creates a buzz around the book. Right. So you can see how all of these things in turn, this like rumour of greater demand. And then that can and then when the book is seen to be in a tier where it's in greater demand and people are anticipating it, then it will be, it might be included in promotions, which create media interest. So then people want to, more people request it for review, which creates more buzz and so on and so forth. So not only this, but pre-orders all count towards a book's first week sales. So they don't, they're not counted now as a sale. When the book comes out, they all get lumped in with its first week's sales. So they get smooshed together, together, this kind of six, seven, eight months of sales into one super week. So if you can't manage to concentrate months of sales stats into a single week, that gives books a real shot at breaking onto bestseller lists, which if you get onto that, then that generates excitement and helps even more readers find amazing authors they've never heard of before. And I think this is the kind of thing where, especially with like hardback lists, bestseller lists, often uh, a best-selling hardback of a week sold like a thousand odd copies. That is a very doable number. I'd like... You know, if you add it up over months and months, that's a very doable number. Like on my London launch of the honours, we sold like, we sold like they brought 60 copies of it and we sold them all. Like in one, <laughs> to one audience in an evening. Right, That's one event. That's not even a shop. That's not even, you multiply stuff by all the shops around the country and stuff. So a thousand book sales is not actually that many to get onto a bestseller list, potentially in the hardback. With paperback lists, the numbers are much higher. But um, So it's just something that if you've got, if there's an author you love uh, or an author you just want to boost or whatever, and you're thinking, oh, when that book comes out, I might be, uh, I think I'm going to buy it. If you just pre-order it instead of waiting for the week, week it comes out and buying it, if you, if you pre-order it, you are taking a thing you were going to do already and you are making it super powerful. You, It's like you get a double or triple. You get to vote three times. Don't do that in real life. It's illegal. So my suggestion to you is if, if there's any books you, by an author you love that you know are coming out, go on to IndieBound or The Hive or, or, or phone your local bookshop and pre-order. Like you can, I'll say, like I, I tested this by phoning my local branch of Waterstones and pre-ordering a book and it turns out you can just phone up your local bookshop and say hello uh this book is coming out in six months can i pre-order it and they'll go yeah sure um, let me look it up what's your name what's your email address cool thank you yeah it's pre-ordered that's it it took me 60 seconds and i'm very nervous on the phone i know my doing a podcast you would think uh i'm not afraid of the sound of my own voice but i'm actually really shy around people who work in shops and on the phone and I get I've got a situational stammer uh and that is the kind of situation that I normally find very intimidating and it was fine
Of course it is. Of course it is. But anyway, that's another thing you can do. Number three, rate and review authors. Now, if you watch a lot of YouTube or you listen to a lot of podcasts, including this one, you are almost certainly sick of hearing people say, don't forget to like and subscribe at the end of the video or pointing downwards and say, let me know in the comments below. And they're doing that because we're all at the mercies of these hellish AI algorithms that channel content towards us like great sloot skates full of Soylent Green. And, you know, it's the same with podcasts. We say, oh, can you rate and review on iTunes? And please do rate and review this on iTunes because it makes such a difference. We do that because because it genuinely bumps things up and because I, I browse stuff on YouTube based on my recommendations. I'm an absolute... Uh, I'm absolutely in hock to those algorithms they're, and because they, they, they feel like they're quite useful, right? Um, but... It means it's just something it's hard to get people to do because it doesn't seem to be much in it for us. And it seems like such an odd thing to do. It's not a natural, obvious thing to do. But rating and reviewing a book on a website is the author equivalent of like and subscribe. And you hear authors talk about it all the time. And very, very, very few readers actually go and do the review or the star rating uh, because you've got better things to do. Right. Why would you? There are a lot of frantic whispers on the internet. You'll read them in forums, you'll read them on sites about the magic number of online reviews a book needs on Amazon to get bumped up in its algorithm. You know, there's, you know, whispers about there supposedly being a higher tier where suddenly you'll be shown more. Um, uh, and, you know, I think the number I hear floated around a lot is like 50 reviews. If you hit 50 reviews, then suddenly your book is noticed in places more and blah, 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 blah. Amazon obviously keep those things secret because otherwise people would seek to exploit it. But what is beyond a shadow of a doubt is the more positive reviews a book gets on places like Amazon and Goodreads, the better it looks when someone browses for it online because those ratings appear in the search results even if you don't click through to the page. And those two sites aren't the only places where readers can leave ratings and reviews. Of course, almost every bookstore from Wordery to Waterstones to IndieBound and The Hive have systems where you can log in and leave a rating and a review in just like a couple of minutes. Now, a book star ratings have a big impact because they're visible on the first page of search results when you Google the book's title and the author's name. Now, neither me nor my publishers are credible advocates for a novel I've written. I can say to you, hey, guys, I'm really excited about your novel. Will you go, I'm not sure. Why would you ever say anything other than that, Tim? Why do you say, hey, I farted out a novel? Um, I did my best, but to be honest, I'm aware it's not my best work. But I'm hoping that people just have a low entertainment threshold and buy it. So um, what I say about my work, I can be a credible, I can give you credible narratives about how I wrote it, the struggles I had with it, what it's about. But but as to its quality, who gives a fuck what Tim Clare thinks about Tim Clare's books? Who, give, who gives an actual shit? It's, it's irrelevant data to you. If I like it, well done, Tim. We're very happy for you. Doesn't make it more likely that you're going to buy it, right? I've got a big financial stake in my work and so do my publisher, right? They've got a huge stake in the books doing well. So, you know, they create a blurb for it. Of course they're going to say it's good. They're not going to say we just invested in this and then realise it's a turkey. So this is the thing. So suddenly the fate of that book, the opinions that people care about, is like a, it's a bunch of randos on the internet. If a rando, aka you takes the time to go online and say about a book you've read 
yeah, this rocks. Your your opinion, and certainly once a few people do that, your collective opinion carries far more weight. It, it doesn't matter that you're Joe Schmo and no one's heard of you. You the fact that you've done that, you've got no investment in that apart from the fact you think the book is fucking great. So it's and actually, even negative reviews, even negative reviews, are are better than no reviews. I think even just having people go, I didn't like this. I don't like, uh, I don't like this genre. Or I don't like books where this happens, or I felt this was weak, or whatever. It's information. It helps people make an informed choice, and I think it and 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 it, it gives the book more hits, which means it moves up in search rankings. It's huge. So like you can just on Amazon, for example, if you just click into it and click on. But underneath every book, there just says share your thoughts with other customers, and it says write a customer review. If you've got an account there, like I've I've done this, you can just go on and rating your favourite books on Amazon takes literally less than a minute per book. You just find the book, click on the title, write a customer review button, and then just click how many stars you'd like to award. That's it. You can put one or two uh, sentences just to explain why, if you want. For books that don't have many reviews, a minute of your time can shift the aggregate rating and change every single reader's first impression of the book from here on in. You don't have to spend any money on the site. Uh, it's it's just about hitting high visibility websites that readers are likely to see, that Google is likely to favour in its rankings. If you spend another minute or two, you can add your short little review. You don't need to agonise over finding exactly the right words. Far better that you just say how you felt about the book in simple, straightforward language. You, you've read loads of books, right? There's loads of books you could go and review right now and help other people have that joyful experience that you had or that quite good, interesting, but slightly confusing experience that you had, whatever. You know, just if you can say how you feel in simple, straightforward language, the way you might explain it to a friend, that's really convincing. You don't have to go for paragraphs and paragraphs of of, 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 of chuntering digression either. A couple of sentences is fine if that's enough for you to say what you mean. I, you know, a, a couple of sentence fragments is fine. And you don't have to turn it into, you don't have to be like a frothing fan child either. Just mention what the book does well. And if there are parts that might put some readers off, be honest about those. Your review will be far more convincing for being balanced and being honest. Um, a few tips. Try to avoid major spoilers if you're doing a if you're doing a review. Give a sense of genre so people can make uh, an informed decision. If you think fans of a particular established author might love the book, name the author. Don't be afraid to write it in the first person. It's not an academic essay and you're free to be subjective. You're not writing in a major newspaper. You can say, I, I thought this was good. I enjoyed it. Uh, I sort of ran out of steam a little bit towards the end, but like the beginning is so exciting. I think it's worth you reading it, right? Um, by all means, copy and paste your review from one uh, bookseller's website onto another and use it there. Uh, nothing wrong with consistency and your thoroughness will mean far more people will see your helpful review. Don't worry if you feel like you're not super well read or an expert on books. Your opinion as a newcomer is valuable, especially for others who might be new to the genre or author or series. Most readers will be in the same boat as you, not experts. I would say like reviews on Amazon are more valuable to authors than reviews on Goodreads, which is owned by Amazon anyway. But um, if you've written one on Goodreads, consider copy and pasting it over to the book's Amazon page as well because it does help a lot. Good reviews help readers connect with books they'll love. We all know that and yet how often do we remember to actually take the time to follow up, you know, three days 
a week, two weeks, a month of being in an author's world with just writing a kind of like giving it a rating out of five. Rarely, I hard, hardly do it. In fact, once I finish recording this, I'll go and do a couple of books in, not in penance, but in honour of some books that I love. Just go and, and, and share the love. It doesn't matter if it's got like a thousand reviews. Anyway, it's, it's just, it makes you feel good to contribute and it helps organise your thoughts. As, as, as newspaper and magazine budgets are being squeezed and squeezed, uh, culture and arts departments are getting axed and replaced by freelancers and in some cases just not replaced at all just there just is less coverage or no coverage print journalism is devoting less and less space to book reviews which means sometimes for so many books and especially books in you know for romance novelists for a lot of science fiction and fantasy novelists the book star rating and the comments below the line are all readers have to go on if they're deciding whether to take a risk on it. It's, it is a quick, free and impactful way you can reach through the internet and give another human being just like you a genuine hand up. And I'm telling you as an author, everyone who writes a review on one of my books is is, is having a genuine impact on my ability to... You know, ultimately, if people more people buy my book, that is that is more of a chance I've got to continue doing this as a career. It does. You are genuinely helping. I don't want to sound sort of like too desperate and frantic, but it genuinely, I don't think people realise what a difference it can make. Not only that, but reviewing books on bookseller sites is a nice low commitment way to flex your own writing muscles and your own critical thought. It helps you organise your thinking. You get to practice putting your opinions into words and, and thinking about fiction. If you're a writer, it's really important you, important you think about books you read, what worked, what didn't, and actually reflect on that, if only for, a, you know, 30 seconds. And if lots of people find your reviews helpful, you can quickly start to build a reputation as a reviewer. There are lots of big reviewers on Amazon um, uh, that people, you know, that the reviews carry weights that get sent um, advanced reading copies by publishers. It's, you know, you could start getting free shit, right? Cross-posting between booksellers and your own Facebook page or website is absolutely fine. So if you want to post these on your Goodreads site, on their, you know, the Waterstones page, the, uh, uh, the uh, Amazon page and your own website and like your Facebook, that's cool to do that. That's awesome. Um, more people will read it and it's a good way to increase your audience. Number five, send authors a fan letter. Not all support is about you promoting them to other people. Sometimes it's just about one human reaching out to another one and saying, hey, that scene where the genetically enhanced hedgehog drove a lawnmower through the plate glass doors into the christening and kidnapped the baby got me through a really difficult time while my dad was dying it like the these they don't all have to be that emotionally loaded but it's it's a thing right it's a genuine thing books how many, i've had books that have helped me through such difficult times in my life and sometimes books that have just brought me joy or interest or emotional resolution in times when i've been fine when my life's been going at a fairly even tombra but how many times have i actually communicated back that back to the or person who wrote it rarely i regret some of the i regret not writing to ursula Le Guin before she died and uh whether she would have read my letter or not i don't know probably um 
But it's important that we let other human beings know how we feel. Like we're we're all here to. I feel very passionately about this that we don't wait. Times in my life where I've not told people how I feel, where I've not communicated something large or small, and then the moment and the opportunity for that has passed, I regret more than most things in my life. So my biggest regrets revolve around that. And look, on a less sort of like heavy note, fan mail was lovely to receive, and it is surprisingly uplifting to write. Actually, cultivating gratitude is associated with. And I've got a link here to more peer-reviewed studies if you're interested, but all sorts of benefits, including improved sleep, enhanced performance under pressure, better healthy habits and improved mood. And we know this. You know this. I'm not telling you anything. When I say gratitude is going to make you, it makes you feel better. You're like, oh, yeah, I've heard about that. I should keep a gratitude journal. Well, you can express gratitude to other people as well. It doesn't just have to be you writing in biro in a, a, a scrapbook. You can express gratitude to other people. Uh, it, it's not a servile thing. You're not going, oh, thank you. You just go, hey, thanks for this. It was awesome, right? It makes you feel better and it makes them feel better. That's a double whammy. Writing down three things you're thankful for in a day is one way to build a gratitude mindset. But another powerful technique is to tell creators what their work means to you. Not only will you be retraining your brain to notice positive things alongside potential threats, making you less stressed, more resilient and kinder, but you'll be making someone else, someone whose work you like and think is awesome. You'll be helping them feel good too. Studies have suggested that people perform better after receiving personal compliments they perform tasks better so potentially by your saying that to them you are improving the work of your favorite authors how awesome is that i've sent and i've received emails saying the thing you do is great thank you and whether writing it or receiving it it always gives me a lift the act of explaining to someone why you like their story makes you relive your favorite moments over again and that gives you a richer deeper appreciation of the stuff you enjoyed the human brain has a hardwired negativity bias that makes us more likely to notice and then remember bad upsetting or frightening events over things that evoke happiness laughter or calm your amygdala and the hippocampus that has your episodic memory in it, they work together to scan your environment for threats and then scan your memories for things that resembled those possible threats in the past to keep you safe because happiness isn't essential to survival. Recognising threats is, but we are not completely without recourse as dr tim pitchell talked about in the wonderful episode on procrastination biology is not destiny what fires together wires together blasting off a short piece of fan mail is a simple effective way of fighting back every time you do something with any action really you are helping strengthen the synapses that govern that action, it'll be easier to do in future, you're more likely to do it, you are wiring together parts of your brain that see positive things. It is really, really, really works. And we and I can get I could go on for ages about all the studies that back this point up. So you can choose not to do it, but understand the benefits to you and the other person if you do do it. And look, if it doesn't sound too saccharine, right? Consider getting into the habit of sending a complimentary fan mail 
and when I say complimentary, I mean full of compliments, not free. I mean, it should be free anyway, but I wouldn't phrase it as a complimentary fan mail. Um, consider getting into the habit of, of, of sending fan mail to your friends and family too. I, 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 I've been trying to do this. You know, I tried to send nice messages to my friends and my family and I tried to tell people I love them as a as a as a male growing up in quite a sort of beery laddish environment. I it's been hard for me to realise that I'm actually quite emotionally constipated. And, and it's been those times when I haven't said how I feel to people that have made me better at trying to vocalise appreciation and be less scared of doing that i just think on your deathbed you're i very much doubt you're going to regret having taken the time to tell good people in your life how much they meant to you even if they react slightly oddly to you at first or think you're having a breakdown um it will make you feel better it will make you feel better and this message that you send to an author like it need only be a few sentences as with reviewing far better that you just say something simple imperfect and honest from the heart, hey, I just want to say I love your book. I just finished it. I really enjoyed it. Uh, thanks for writing it. Uh, and good luck with the next one. Don't worry. Oh, no, it's not original enough. Oh, what a pointless thing to say in an email. It's not pointless. I think it's important that you don't, especially if you're someone like me who has like social anxiety and stuff, don't tie yourself up in knots trying to come up with the perfect 50 standard stanza lyric poem to express your undying loyalty or, or you know, be super clever um, to try and impress them. You, you know, you could maybe mention your favourite book of theirs or a character or a scene you loved. Uh, I'd, I'd try not to cover up your social anxiety by being smart-assed or jokey rude or over-familiar. I absolutely get the urge to hide your nervousness behind a facade of convivial ribbing or a, a witty remark, but you, you you don't need to do it. You could, There's a power just to being... I know it's hard to be vulnerable, but it's a great thing to practice. Just a sincere, hey, what you do is cool. Even if that's the one sentence. You know, what? hey... Hey, such and such. What you know? What you do? I I loved reading your last book. What what you do is cool. Thank you. Best wishes. Blah blah blah. Since so few people actually take the time to, to say those things, it makes a huge difference. And sometimes an overly jokey or cheeky message just comes across as rude. I know you're not an asshole or an asshole if you live in the US, but you might be mistaken for one if you try too hard to be funny. So just let yourself be human. If you can't find their email address, by the way, no problem. Google their name along with agent or publisher. Get their agent or publisher's name or address. Those should be very easy to find and send a letter or even a lovely handwritten note by conventional post with the author's name on top and then C slash O courtesy of and the agent's name and address beneath. It's polite to include a, an envelope and stamp for when they send it on to the author in question. That whole process is slightly more of a faff than a simple email. So you could just email their agent as well. Agents are probably going to get angry at me for saying that you can do that. But I think it's probably fine, right, for a bit of fan mail. But it is rather fun to do that. And sending an actual letter is that much more special. So that's my thing. You know, write a piece of fan mail. It will make you feel super happy. Six post on social media about their work you don't have to turn into a frothing affiliate marketer a short post on facebook or tumblr or twitter saying something like hey this is one of my fa favorite books it's about a fallen angel with guns for wings and the dead chef who loves him if you enjoyed 
Mr Tanaka goes to Fartland, you'll love this. And then you add a little link on the page where people can buy it. I mean, you don't necessarily have to do it in that marketing speak. Whatever fits your brand guidelines is fine. But it's just important. You know, I, I guess to make it super helpful, if you want to like sort of maximise this, then... If I were having my druthers, you would uh, make it as easy as possible for anyone swayed by your words to click through and grab a copy. Um, so the fewer clicks involved, the more likely it is that they're going to make an impulse buy and, and piss sweet dollars into your writing crush's pockets. But, you know, whatever you say, just that general visibility that people are talking about the books makes a difference. But of course, you know, I said that I would go down into some kind of slightly fine detail on how you're going to do this and how you can make it absolutely super, super special. And that would be how word of mouth is still recognised correctly as the most powerful marketing tool in the world for a book. Literally nothing beats uh, a personal recommendation for getting someone to pick up a novel and pay money for it. A huge billboard telling you that the latest hardback from such and such is a gripping page turner is far, far, far less convincing than a friend saying, holy shit, I just read the book by Nancy Beanfan in a single sitting. It is awesome. And there's this drip, drip, drip effect of an author's name cropping up on Facebook and Twitter. When someone follows you and they see that name and then they see it again, when you mention it and then they see it again somewhere else, this little recognition neurons fire, fire up in their brain. Oh, they think, I've heard of this author. So immediately once they've heard you say it, if they're in a bookshop and they see the book name and author, it feels more familiar to them and they're more likely to pick it up. So you've just given them, by mentioning it them, mentioning them at all, you've given them an advantage over 95% of the other names of the bookshop. That's huge! Um, how where rarely do we do it it's great to share stuff if you like it it makes a difference if you're on twitter you can you could add, add their twitter handle in the post that helps attract them new followers who might click through to look at their profile and and, and some authors do retreat praise from their readers uh, retreat praise retweet praise from their readers um it's a divisive area retweeting praise uh, etiquette etiquette wise um some people feel sharing praises is, is a bit smug um, they may very well be right. I do it, uh, as a kind of form of social proof and cause it makes me feel happy. Uh, but people who follow me like me already. So I'm not quite sure whose benefit I'm doing that for. Uh, it certainly potentially isn't mine. It, I know it alienates some people. Um, it is a divisive area. Whatever your opinion, I think we can probably agree that of all the sins people commit on Twitter, retweet of thousands of dollars spent on adverts could be precisely because you're independent. So post about the books you love, mention them, and you will make a palpable difference. Number seven, review their work on your blog. Got a blog? Consider dropping in a short review of your favourite author's latest book. As reviews get squeezed out of national newspapers, book bloggers are fast becoming the lifeblood of a thriving, diverse literature scene. The internet is a great equaliser, so providing your blog is, is, is readable and uh, you give readers a good idea of what the book's about, your review could easily end up being as influential as one in a major publication. The beauty of doing a blog is it's your choice. You can write it as, as little or as much as you like, though shorter reviews will encourage you to be a bit more disciplined, they'll be easier for readers, and they'll generally take you less time. Uh, remember to put a link to buy the book at the top and and the bottom of the review, unless it's a very short, like one paragraph review. Retailers like Wordery or Hive or Amazon, they've got affiliate programs you can join where you'll get a little code that you can add to the URLs of the books. And if people read the review and they click through and they buy the book, 
you'll get a small cut. Now, you're unlikely to make a ton of cash off these links, but getting money for something you might be doing anyway is a nice side hustle. And it might well over a year, say, cover the hosting costs for your website. So it's not it's not nothing. If you're going to put those links there anyway, you might as well make them affiliate links and make a little bit of money. In addition, right, you're not under pressure to review the latest releases. There's no time limit on writing about a book when you have no editor. It's your blog. So as well as full reviews, you can do monthly roundups, top 10 or top 7 or top lists, five books of lists of a certain genre or theme you can go back in time and not literally but you know and, and review books that you're just interested in reading it's fucking cool right you are completely unshackled from the constraints of dickhead editors no offense book editors um you can write features about like particular characters in books and what you think their deal is you can write threads about trends in publishing or the importance of diversity and representation or you can rant righteously about things that annoy you large or small you can fanboy or fangirl or fan person about things that you just think of wow amazing you can you can use the setting of a book to write about the history or culture or fauna of the place you can even contact authors including your favorites obviously and ask if they'd be willing to do a short interview for your blog just bear in mind i would say that written or email interviews take quite a bit of a person's time you're essentially asking them to write the article for you so don't be offended if they decline but it's not rude to ask it is not rude to ask um i don't think anyone who isn't a dick feels offended by being offered the chance to do one uh just don't take it personally if they say i'm sorry i haven't got the time uh it doesn't mean they're cross with you if you find you re enjoy book reviewing and you want to do it more you can register at netgalley to request free ebooks of upcoming titles if people like your reviews and come to trust your judgment you'll become that most coveted of assets in the publishing industry a reader of influence now the one caveat i want to say is that book reviewing takes a lot of time as someone who i used to i've done it for the guardian you can read a couple of my books i've done for the guardian online um and i reviewed a lot of books for the big issue as well uh if you love doing it that's wonderful there are ways to grow it into a rewarding hobby that pays for itself but reading a book takes a long time for like the length of article you end up to it churning out at the end so do not feel like your opinion can only be a value if you're churning out three reviews a week and have a dedicated site with its own rating system. I award tales from the Alpaca Salon five Cabri cream eggs out of a possible seven and a half. Like just doing a short post on your blog that's about other stuff called five books I love this month or even do it on Facebook or something with a line and a link for each book is great. And if all of this sounds like too much, then I refer you to my previous thing. Just go on Amazon, give it a rating out of five stars and put like the word good underneath or whatever. I, I just I just remind you, like doing one small thing is far better than doing nothing. Please don't feel overwhelmed by the scope of possibility that I'm, I'm suggesting to you here. If lots of people get in on doing something tiny, then um, the world changes. Number eight, link to authors, books or websites. If you have a blog or website, I should say these are going to get much faster now. So if you're thinking, God, if it's taken him this long, how, how long is it going to take to do the other 10? These get faster now. If you have a blog or a website, consider just having a page or a sidebar with permanent links, the little blog roll or whatever, to authors and book related sites that you love. You don't need much, just headings like authors that rock or books that legit melted my face. Then underneath links to either the author's website or a buying page for the author's books as appropriate. By doing this, you're just 
boosting their discoverability and giving people like you the chance to stumble upon their work. The impact of lots of links on search engine rankings is questionable at the moment. We you know, this, uh, Search engine optimization is in flux at the moment as Google tries to uh, sort of stop people uh, gaming it in the way that they were in the past. But you're still setting up the potential for good old-fashioned organic clicks. Uh, your endorsement means much more than you realise. Number nine, share authors' reviews. If they get a good review in a paper or online and you like the author, retweet it. Or better yet, you know, post a link to it yourself on Facebook or Twitter and add your own comment saying, oh, I love this book. I'm so glad to see it's been doing well. Or I can't wait to read this. It sounds like it's going to be really good. Not only will you be doing invaluable work getting impressive evidence of your fave author's book in front of as many eyes as possible, but you're going to be spreading an article and rewarding the publication that commissioned and ran it like book reviews in a national paper they cost the paper money and if no one reads them they will go away by spreading it you get clicks which then generate advert revenue uh, editors look at that and they go okay it's worth doing book reviews because people read them and it's worth reviewing this author in particular because people read reviews about their work. All of that is important. Number 10, nominate them for awards and vote for them. I've got lots of reservations about awards culture. I think it polarises attention around a few titles. Historically, it's been massively skewed towards straight white cis men and it is just silly that the only way we can talk about books apparently is by making them fight for our entertainment. But the reason that publishers will readily chloroform and roast their own grandmothers to have a book win an award is that they shift units. Not actually, to be fair, as many units as you might think. Even some of the better known awards don't massively move the needle tend to do kind of small sales blips rather than huge ones, but the major awards can do an awful lot to get readers trying out a new author and to get bookshops around the world promoting them. Though writers in certain genres like crime, romance, fantasy and thrillers can go a whole career without so much as a sniff of a shortlist and still do eye-watering numbers in terms of sales, writers of literary fiction in particular really benefit from prize recognition. And it's nice for the author, right? Now, many of the biggest awards are shortlisted by the organisers, based on submissions from the publishers, and then chosen by a panel, meaning the judges often have no say in the shortlist. They're like given like five or six books, and thus they just choose the best book from a choice of five or six curated behind the scenes. Often now, actually, with the larger awards, what you do is sifters choose the long list. So just randos like pick out the like... 12 or 15 long list titles and then the judging panel who've been asked to do it whittle it down to six or three or whatever it's i mean it's still just completely fucking arbitrary right uh, and, but for the most part right a novel has to be nominated by its publisher many awards limit the number of titles a publisher can nominate which means the publishers have to pick the books they want to get the most exposure, which normally the ones they paid the largest advances for. And that's not me. I, it sounds like I'm being incredibly cynical. Most editors I've met are tireless advocates for books and the authors they love, irrespective of sales, actually. I think, you know, the publishing industry, for all this idea about it being ruthlessly commercial, if you look at the actual profit margins, it has quite small profit margins compared to comparable industries. There's a lot of people who are doing it out of love for books. Uh, and, you know, by focusing around books, they think they're going to make the publishing house the most money. They're giving them a bigger war chest to potentially buy slightly more risky titles. 
But, you know, like all these editors, they want their tricky, challenging or lesser known stories to get attention and readers. Of course they do. But their final responsibility is to keep the lights on. They can't push any books if the business folds, right? Like if they've got no business, they can't publish anything. So, it, it, and, and that is a far from outlandish scenario in the precarious world of publishing where margins are small and sales unpredictable and readers increasingly less loyal to particular authors. Increasingly, authors are, uh, readers um, follow books and what wins awards and just because they loved an author's previous work won't pick up the next thing by them. It's tough. It's tough. Like, readers are swayed by awards. You are probably swayed by awards. And and you sh- and you shouldn't fucking be, frankly, because they're arbitrary. Awards like the Books Are My Bag Readers Awards in the UK compile a shortlist from booksellers' nominations, then invite the public to vote for the winners. Like a judging panel, you'll be choosing from a hugely reduced field... But if an author you love makes it onto a shortlist like that, big or small, that goes to a public vote, make sure you vote for them and encourage others to do so. The Hugo Awards cover science fiction and fantasy and allow members of the World Science Fiction Society to nominate and vote on creative works and authors under a variety of categories. So if you're into science fiction or fantasy, I'm sure you, you, of course, you've heard of the Hugos and the rancorous partisan spats over the uh, past few years about over supposed ideological bias in the nominations block voting by right-wing fans and a subset of far-right white supremacists has led to an overhaul of the rules um i think if there's a a positive to the whole hugo's debacle which i'm not going to go into here but um if there is a positive it is showing how much of an impact a relatively small number of readers can have if they make a battle plan and work together that can be used for good as well as ill. For the most part, though, look, major awards are this closed shop uh, where the judges are invited by the award organisers based on who they want to be seen judging awards, right? And since open voting awards rely on voters having read the books in question, which means that they have to have been promoted by publishers in the first place, they just tend to amplify authors who are already doing respectable numbers, who are already known. They... Open voting awards rarely are going to pick a book that needed boosting, right? Closed shot ones, like the Booker Prize, are are a small clique deciding on what books to promote, right? There are various indie awards out there open to self-published authors, but it can be hard to to distinguish the legitimate competitions from slightly more cynical money-making exercises with exorbitant entry frees and, and, and little wider recognition. But... So, of course, I've got problems with all of this. And if you just don't want to be involved in awards culture, do all the other stuff on this list except this, and we can make awards obsolete. If you think I'm saying this because I haven't won any major genre or publishing awards, um, you may very well be right. I'm not aware of feeling huge amounts of jealousy, but... I wouldn't, would I? That That's all the whole basis of self-deception and a lack of self-awareness. So feel free to ignore me. Um, I just, I think it's a shame how we polarise attention. And actually, privately, when I speak to people in the publishing industry, they all fucking hate awards as well. They fucking hate them. Because they polarise interest around a few titles and kill other titles who don't get the same attention. Because all the publishers, the proportion of the publishers 
promotional budgets that go into award winners or potential award winners is eye-watering. And, and this is why I'm asking you as well, be a bit more discriminating and don't just go for the talking shop books, if you can. Look, anyway, rant over. This isn't, you know, but that's, it's a thing. And that's why it's so important that you use your power as a reader to subvert this bullshit. <laughs> or, all right, I'll get down. I'm just going to ride my high horse down off my soapbox and then down off the moral high ground. Uh, finally, there are plenty of readers' polls in book blogs, Facebook groups, and site like, sites like Goodreads that you can vote on. It's not a good use of your time to go tracking these down, but if an author directs you to one through their Facebook page on or Twitter, and often there's like really fun ones, like uh, they, you know, just having little knockout competitions with like best uh, best cover. That's cool. I like those covers. Don't get enough love. Cover designers are fucking awesome. And I think they're really wonderful things to celebrate. But if you, you know, if you get, if you get, you know, if you've got thirty seconds and you see them say, "Hey, we vote for my book's cover," or see which one you like best, um, it's it's cool, and it can be a lovely boost to people looking at the book's cover and thinking, "That looks awesome. I'm going to check it out." Um, so if your favourite author announces they've been nominated for an award with a public vote, I would say like go vote. If they give you a link to click through, do it and encourage your friends to do the same if they like it. Every bit of publicity helps, especially for less known writers for whom even a small award can offer a boost. And I do think it is positive when books, uh, promote, when award book awards promote writers who, you know, for marginal, marginalised authors and things like that i do think it's important i just wish we didn't have to go through the kind of fucking ridiculous pantomime of awards to go all right now all right great well now now we're allowed to talk about a female queer author of color because she's won an award and now we're allowed to talk about it but we weren't we weren't allowed to go this is a fucking awesome book until some people had vote voted for is that it's, it's bollocks it makes me really angry that we don't have better ways of becoming more grown up about these things it's ludicrous <laughs> tim's to calm down i'm sorry maybe i'll talk about this another time i don't know it just it makes me cross but i just think if we do a better job about talking about books we love and sharing them with our friends writing about them going hey read this building networks to get the message out book awards are going to become less and less relevant 11. Join authors' mailing lists. Some authors put out a monthly or a regular newsletter letting their fans know what they're up to, whether they got new books out, details of live readings and links to articles, reviews, interviews and appearances on podcasts. If you head to their website, there'll probably be a sign-up form um, and you can go and read and you can go and sign up. Um, if they don't have one, then then you'll know about it straight away. And if they put the sign-up form in a weird place, they don't deserve to have you your name on it anyway. Mailing lists, um, they go through waves of being fashionable and unfashionable. I think like as spam filters become more zealous, uh, then mass mail-outs tend to get... They tend to be... The, the, the click-through rate now for people actually opening newsletters is very, very low. I had a newsletter for a while and just it got to the stage where I like 5% of people were opening it. And I was like, well, I, I just feel like I'm bothering people now, you know? Social media is kind of like a micro-newsletter service as well, so I think that's taken over a lot of it. And lots of people use email less as other options open up to us. Now, the, the argument from an author's point of view is email is always going to exist. Um, but 
Facebook and Twitter are proprietary formats that might get bought or fall out of fashion or crash. You know, like MySpace seemed like it was going to be the preeminent form of communication and now no fucker uses it. You know, like the social media sites, you know, people are fickle and and they struggle to finance themselves sometimes. And so the idea is if you've got an email list, that is always going to be a way of contacting people and you're not going to be reliant on Facebook suddenly saying hey, you've got to like start paying for people to see your posts now. Otherwise, they're just going to be buried some down somewhere in the kind of like shit pile. So it's, you know, I can see the theoretical value of having a newsletter. However, the number of people, how many newsletters do you read? Not many. Although fair enough, I can think of a couple actually that I do read. But mm, if an author puts out a newsletter, it's likely to contain everything most important to them. So look, if you, you know, if you, if they offer one, and you don't feel like it's going to be too much bother, sign up to it. It's nice for them to know. And it will you know, it t- will tend to have all this stuff I've been talking to you about, whether there's an award they want you to vote on, whether they've got a new book coming out they want you to pre-order, will probably be on there. I can see myself at some stage starting up a very limited uh, newsletter, email newsletter, um, for people who really want, want those monthly emails with just some useful stuff in. But uh, it's... <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's 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 not going to make a huge difference. And if you're an author yourself, I would think very long and hard about what you're actually trying to do with a newsletter before you set one up. Because it, it takes a while to do. Number 12. Take the books out at the library. So, like, you might think borrowing a book from a library rather than paying for it is tantamount to stealing the food from the author's plate. Think again. And, um... Come to a different conclusion based on this new information. So, authors in the UK, at least, can apply for funding... Uh, public lending right royalties which give them payouts depending on how often their books are checked out so they do get some money for it not only that but every time you borrow a book from a library you are upping that libraries and that author's circulation figures right but the library's circulation figures are part of its lifeblood right they're in the uk they're facing this constant fight for survival and they're hugely valuable community resources stalwart fortresses of literacy that empower young readers and uh, people on low income and ensure that everyone has access to stories and books and non-fiction with important information in it and learning it the, the and the public spaces where you can just go and sit right the more we use them and speak up for them and champion them and take books out from them the greater chance they have of surviving for the pleasure and enrichment of generations to come and I think any author you might think well this is kind of tangential to supporting your favorite author but I think any uh, author worth their salt who isn't an asshole recognizes libraries values as bastions of the art um like if we get people reading and liking reading and feeling it's okay to read that promotes that's why we have a book industry right that's why people buy books is because we've done that so it's 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 just essential I think it's just essential and you get free stuff while making the world a better place. It's win-win. 13, make fan art. It sounds quite niche, right? But like, if you draw or paint uh, and you want to make an author's face pop off with sheer joy, do them some fan art. Seriously, doing a sketch of your favourite character and putting it on Tumblr or DeviantArt or your Facebook page or Twitter is a great way to show off your talent while giving some love to the creators who inspire you. This is why I love doing SF and fantasy rather than litfic because I pe- people actually do this and I've seen pictures people have done in my work and it's absolutely been mind-changing uh, mind-changing life-changing mind-blowing life-blowing 
it is like someone peered inside your head and sketched your dreams. Sharing a chill-ass drawing of a scene or character from a novel that blew your mind is one of the most validating things you can do for an author. But wait, as well as a lovely treat for the author, your artwork is a fantastic punchy way of selling new readers on the book. Way! Now, important caveat here, talented artists deserve to be paid well for actual commissions, cover art or promotional illustrations. I'm not advocating that you do work for authors on spec or for free just because they ask you. It's it's fine to draw stuff you choose to draw for your own love and enjoyment on your terms and on your time scale. But if a writer wants to use your work in materials they're charging people for, like they go, oh, I love that. Can I use it, Um, you know, in, in a, on, as my book cover or whatever? You deserve to be paid for your efforts. Anyone who gives you a hard time for asking or makes you feel like shit or that you're being difficult is being a weenosaurus. You know, and occasionally, you know, like someone might be putting out a free ebook and says, I love this picture, can I use it? And you say, well, pay me. And they say, I can't. Um, they're not necessarily being, as long as they say, I'm really sorry, I, I, I can't afford to, uh, it's okay. Um, they're not necessarily being a dick by turning you down. Some There's some kind of niche projects that just don't have a budget, uh, but then they should be absolutely okay with people saying, uh, fuck off, I'm not going to give you my work for free. 14, take sexy photos of authors' books. Um, I'm not actually, I don't mean literally pornographic. I just mean good. Um, nothing quite matches seeing your book out there in the wild. It, it's, it's an incredible thing when people just post Instagram things with them in a coffee shop with your book on a table. It's huge, right? For most of us, you've always dreamed of being a quote-unquote proper author. The idea of one day having a physical book in a physical shop and presumably physical people paying most likely incorporeal cash for it has been a giddy fantasy for most of our lives. Seeing pictures of your actual book posted by people who have bought it, who you've never met, or maybe you've met them but other people don't know that, sitting down to read it in real life feels frankly hallucinogenic. Not only that, but spreading pictures of a book, especially if it has a striking cover. Like, that was the, one of the things about when the honour came out, the honours came out, is it looks fucking hot. I'm totally cool with saying that because I didn't design the cover. Um, the wonderful people in the Canongate Arts Depa Art Department did it, and it looks... It's I just absolutely pop a huge boner over it. I love it to death. It's just awesome. It's ev it's just everything. It's just it, and it encompasses. It feels so right for the book as well, and so it just looked really sexy when people shared it. And it just is beautiful colours. These kind of like the reds and the greens just pop, and people shared photos of it, and it just looks lush. Um, and and and, it, that, and doing that raises its profile and visibility. So if someone sees your photo, right next time they're in a bookshop or they're kind of clicking through stuff online. When they see that cover, they're gonna it's gonna elicit a small jolt of recognition. They'll be like, Oh, and that's great. That makes them more likely to mosey over and have a sneaky peekaroo. And if they have a peekaroo, they won't have a peek a buy, which isn't a thing. Fifteen, buy authors a coffee. So um you'll know because I mentioned it on if you listen to the show at all, but I mentioned um coffee.com, that's ko-fi.com. It's a simple website that lets creators rattle their tip jar or, or alternatively flip open their digital guitar cases. They busk for you. It's particularly good for indie artists and people producing stuff online who mainly share for free and could use a little help keeping the lights on, or often in many cases, a lot of help. Naturally, I've got a coffee page, and if you like what I do here on the podcast, um, or just in general, please consider chucking me a buck or so so I can cover my hosting costs and keep making cool, helpful stuff that hopefully helps other people and helps just make 
you know, things in my own kind of minor small way better. You know, I, 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 I admit that like what I do doesn't make a huge difference on a global scale, but I don't think that's not a reason to do small good things, right? Um, and th- I, I, just to be clear, look, I know it sounds like I've just shoehorned this into shill for donations, by the way. Like, and I'm guilty as charged. Um, I, I do mention it because it's so, so, so helpful when people do. But that's not just why I mentioned it. I just want to say, just want to speak personally about the impact that uh, uh, pe- when people have donated through. I sort of set up think, feeling very embarrassed, feeling that nobody would offer anything. And actually, it's it's my experience that when you are able to honestly reach out to people and say, anyone who can... If you like what I do, can you give me a hand? It's stunning, actually, about how many people do. Uh, and that's it's very, very validating. And I've started supporting more Kickstarters, dropping stuff in people's digital kind of coffee pages and stuff like that, going on Patreon and seeing who I can support there. Because... It makes you do you you don't even realise how much of a difference you make, how much content you allow, and it allows a, a variety of really cool artists in a variety of fields to get to just about squeezed by. It's you know no no one except a couple of very notable exceptions is making very much money off these things, but just thanks to the generosity of their fans, they get to to be able to continue to make art while earning almost nothing. Like these are tough times to be making great weird art and perhaps twas ever thus but taking the leap and choosing to become a supporter of someone on patreon even with just like you know a one dollar a month donation i think that is for me making a donation and one of these things is a fundamentally political act it's a vote for art it's a vote for culture it's an active positive step towards a reality where independent creators are valued and celebrated and are they, you know, are their risks are slightly underwritten so they can be bold and they can make mistakes and they can be original and break new ground and fill the world with awesome new stuff that is going to solve and uh, help us get towards overcoming some of the great challenges we face as human beings. We need imagination now more than ever. And Imagineers gotta eat. 16 support their publishers when publishers big or small take a punt on a risky interesting weird or rule breaking book not because they think they'll make money but because they believe wholeheartedly that that book deserves to be read the first best way to show support is to buy the damn book but beyond that if you go if you look on the spine of the book find out who the publisher is and then just take a dip into the publisher's backlist and see if anything else takes your fancy that is a great way to reward that publisher's courage and to keep them innovating small independent presses especially benefit from that kind of benign nepotism aside from the fact that if they published one thing that you really really liked the chances of their having found something else for you that you'll love are quite high and i think browsing their websites is a great way to stumble upon new authors you can also just share their websites you can and of course like let's not to be clear you can also remember that you're allowed to buy more than one copy of a book if you love it you know Buy it uh, for someone's birthday, um, buy it for Christmas, buy it for just a lovely present for a friend. You can buy multiple copies of stuff. I've started giving gifts more 
recently, even though I'm probably the poorest I've been in my life. Um, and it makes me really, really, really happy. It makes me so happy. I'm quite shit at choosing presents. They tend to be not deliberately, but quite eccentric. Um, but it's good fun. But anyway, you can go onto publishers' websites and support those publishers, and that just helps them stay afloat. Uh, whether they're big or small. Like, if they're a huge publisher, it's still cool, right? Like, it's still a nice thing to do. I'm not saying you should necessarily be, be only helping people who are um, just scraping by. It's cool to love mainstream stuff as well, if you sincerely love it in your heart. Um, I, I just think, you know... But especially small independent presses, I just think it's really, really nice. And, and whether they deal with literary fiction or pulp SF, they just likely have a bunch of other books that will vigorously tickle the nichest of fantasies. So number 17, the last of my ways I'm going to talk about that you can boost authors is share this podcast. Yeah, I'm sorry. I know it sounds silly, but like this is the more people who do these things... It's going to be a force multiplier, right? If you do these, every some of the things I said, if you do just one of the things I've said, it's going to make a difference. It will make a difference, and I, I need, I need to sort of say, it, it makes a difference to. It makes a difference to the author you do it for, right? That's the because that I mean that is the clan cla that's the classic, uh, like parable that like, two monks are walking along the beach, and there's been this big storm, and a load of. Uh, a load of fish are flapping on the uh, sand, slowly suffocating, having been washed ashore and beached. And the one monk is bending down and every time he comes to a fish, he's picking it up, running along to the sea and tossing it back into the water where it swims away. Now, there are tens of thousands of fish absolutely blanketing the beach. And the second monk says to him after watching him do this five or six times saying why why do you keep doing why do you keep doing that there's so many out here how do you expect it to make a difference and the monk very cheerily holds up the latest fish he's got and says makes a difference to him what you do will make a difference it really will i it really 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 will but if we share these ideas and if we populate we popularize the world with these ideas then that's a force multiplier one person doing these is going to be great and that's another fish who gets to go back into the sea and swim around and have babies and those babies will have babies and so on and so on and that will make a huge huge difference that's a seed that's planted but if 10 people do this if 20 people do this if 30 people do this if 100 people do this that's when seismic change starts to happen. So as well as doing these things, I ask you to share the podcast or share the uh, the link that I've given to the actual article so people can start thinking about how you can maximise your purchases, maximise the time you purchase, maximise the way you share stuff to help and aid authors who you love. Um, and if you go onto the written one, I've also put links to 10 books by authors who I really like that I think I just I wanted to make sure that it wasn't just all seeming like a kind of smoke and mirror shill for me to go 
And what I'm really saying is, this is how you can help me. Of course, all these things would help me as well. But I've, I've given sort of 10 authors that I love to try and sort of pay it forward a little bit and say, you should read these. I think I'll have a fucking great time. And also I do that because I think if I share those and then other people, I put people onto them and then they read them. Whenever I've suggested an author that, to someone and they've gone and read the book and loved it, they like me a little bit better because they're like, you gave me this wonderful experience. Thank you. Here's three things never to do. One, don't turn their book cover out on the shelf in a bookshop. Who the fuck keeps saying this? It's bullshit. It doesn't get a book extra publicity. It just creates extra work for the tireless bookshop staff who will notice that you've done it and they'll have to fix the display. It's not a good use of your time. It has zero impact on sales and it gives your favourite author a reputation for attracting cranks. Number two on the things you should never do, don't attack other authors on their behalf. It's never a good look to build one writer up by tearing another down. One, it's counterproductive. The fans of the author you attack will feel hurt and aim their resentment at your favourite author, not you. Two, authors aren't in ruthless competition, right? We don't have... Let's not let late-stage capitalism do this to us, right? The more books people buy and enjoy, the more revenues publishers have to invest in new and riskier stories. If you must compare, don't say... Favourite author X is so much better than popular author Y. Say, if you like bestseller A, then boy, are you going to love favourite book B. Number three on things never to do to try and boost an author. Don't post multiple reviews from the same book under fake names. This goes especially doubly trebly if you are the author of the book. It is frustrating when the work you've sweated for months and years over doesn't seem to catch fire in the big bad world it's pissing off when people do reviews where they don't seem to get it it's tempting to nudge it on its way with a few words of glowing praise posted by a promotion company for example there you will get emails saying hey do you want to do this surely everyone does it don't they do not do it yourself if you get caught out the damage to your reputation or the reputation of the author you decided to quote unquote help will be permanent and, and even if you don't get caught out, right, the victory is going to be hollow because the accolades will all be fake and they will follow that book around. Fake, shitty accolades for the rest of time. And deceptions like this almost never work. Real five-star reviews are backed up by real enthusiastic readers who go and tell their friends in real life about the book they just read. So it's not just the existence of the review. It's an existence of a person out there in the world spreading word of mouth. By all means write one passionate five-star review about a book by somebody else and share it all over the internet with various sites that's not what i'm saying i said you know you can copy stuff but don't try to become an army of aliases it's a colossal waste of your time you've got but you're more valuable than doing that you know do something important with your life but 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 it's also rarely convincing and it will probably do more harm than good now i guess that the, the other thing I said I was going to talk about just briefly is things that you've got no control over that help, help authors, which tend to be they're getting, well, you know, they get reviews in big newspapers. It's helpful. I, it has a it creates a bump in sales, but I don't think it makes a huge, huge, huge difference. They're getting chosen for promotions by... Uh, bookshops that does make a, a difference and that you can have an effect over that by pre-ordering as i said to help bump their sales up and by sharing information about the book before it's available so other people pre-order um and i guess like i said you can have some influence over awards but winning a bit you can't make them win the booker right unless you're a booker judge so um that's something that can have a huge like 
I can't remember what the quote was for what the stats were for uh, The Milkman, the uh, latest book to win the Man Booker Prize. But I think its sales went up something like 560% in the week after it won. So it can have a really big a really big impact, but that's not something you can have any influence over. And like I say, we're trying to focus stuff down. So there are some things and, you know, being picked for... I'm not even sure that actually being on Radio 4 Book of the Week has a massive influence on a book sales. I think it just tends to mean that people have heard it on Book of the Week and don't feel the need to read it. But, you know, there's some things that can happen, but mainly the way that stuff's going to get shared and, and make sales is that you share it through word of mouth and do these things so that's it really that's it um as i say the other thing i'm going to pop in and i hope you don't mind my messaging it my mentioning it right at the end but this week finally the um the pre-order link for my novel that i've spent four years working on uh the ice house which is about an old lady who goes looking for some people she's lost her name's Delphine and finds herself very far from home fighting against evil that book is ready now for people to pre-order and if you could find it in your heart to pre-order a copy I've put a link at the bottom of this um, I don't really know. I There's so many sort of like actually sort of pseudo manipulative things I want to say. I've been thought about it for ages and how I'm going to pitch it and what, how I'm going to talk about it. Um, I don't really have a, I don't really, I don't, I, I, I don't want to become that person who sort of starts being all kind of salesman apart from the fact I just don't think it will work, but I cannot emphasize enough how much of a difference it would make if you were prepared to put in a pre-order for it so if you've listened if you've got any um value out of the show if you've listened to episodes and you've enjoyed them and they've made any kind of contribution in your life and you would like to do something to support me over the next two years the biggest thing by far you could possibly do would be to click the link and pre-order a copy of the ice house uh it will it will make a huge, huge difference to the fate of that book and my career. So, you know, I'll just like leave that there. If you think that you might ever want to read it, then I would really, really like it if you pre-ordered it. That would be the best way to support me. That's it. Okay. Sort of, you know, that's it. That I'm not gonna. I know, you know. I realise that like it's it's not the stuff I write's not for everyone, and I know a lot of people listening to it. You know, that listening now might not uh, aren't going to do that, and, so, and some of the you, you might not have the the money to do that. And I don't want to make anyone feel like I'm suggesting there's two tiers of listeners: one that's ha- have plenty of money and those and, and, and that buy my books, and they're my real listeners, and then the others who don't. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying, look, don't I? Yeah. Anyway, I've, I've, sorry. Sorry, I'll, 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 eh. I feel embarrassed now. I keep getting a vulnerability hangover. I talk about my book. I talk about how much it kind of means to me. And then I feel like I'm being manipulative. And I feel like people think I'm in a git for talking about my, my working and actually making pitches. So I'm going to shush. 
But these things are important and you can make a difference to authors. So think about the authors who you care about and just remember that you're more powerful than you realise because that's a nice feeling and I think that's one of the best takeaways of this. Right, I'm going to go now and, um, and nurse my feelings with a little chocolate bar or something. Uh, take care. I love you. Thank you for putting up with me and I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful day.